One second left. Powell baseballs one the length of the floor. Oh, looking for Ibaka, who got armbarred by Chris. The ball flies out of bounds. Oh, and Ibaka went after Marquise Chris. He's choking him. And Chris threw a punch. So did Ibaka. Now they're separated. Security's out there on the floor. Abaka attacked Marquis Chris from behind. Choked him, threw him into the basket support. As we mentioned, it was a baseball pass. The two got tangled up jumping for the ball, which was in the air. Abaka got knocked down. Chris was walking away, had his back turned to Abaka. Abaka raced after him, choked him, threw him into the basket support. Chris got himself turned around, and the two started throwing punches. This could be a teaching moment. I mean, it, where they got to get with him and say, you know what? Whatever the league does to you now, when you come back, we got zero tolerance for this. Yeah. You have to concentrate on getting this team through the Eastern Conference, period. The Bowser went to, to the chokehold. The Bowser, this is going to be going to cost him. And Marquise, look, yeah, he's oh, he grabbed him by the throat. Oh, he threw a punch, oh, too. He's finished. They threw up the grab and throw to a punch. Wow. That's gonna cost the Raptors there. There's gonna be maybe a suspension or two in there. Yeah, you're right. When it's all sorted out. That's right, Serge Ibaka is about that life. Welcome to Free Association once again. And once again, Ibaka is throwing hands. I don't know if anyone in the NBA has a bigger anger management problem. Then Serge, we're going to dive on that on this edition with Sirit Sohi. And I think anger management is going to be a topic of conversation. We had another incident with Westbrook and a fan in Utah. We're going to get into that and maybe what the league should do to protect players from fans and not vice versa. And then a lot of people angry in L.A. Their cap management is what you should be angry about. All of that and more on this edition of Free Association. So not new to the podcast, but it's been a minute, but constantly putting out content in the interim. That content now used to be for basically anyone who would pay on the internet. Now it's exclusively for Yahoo and Yahoo Sports. Surat Sohi is back with us. Thank you for coming through and fitting us into your ever busy schedule of video, podcast, writing. What do you not do at this point? Not much at this point. I'd like to think I'm still at the core writer, though. Right. Yes, yes. For now. For now. For as, now. as long as writing continues to pay. But you've written a, about a bunch of teams, but I want to start talking about the team in this market, in this country. And full disclosure, we're going to do a deep dive on the entire league because, you know, you're covering the entire league and have written about it. But the core audience loves the Raptors. And, and there is an audience that, if we're being honest only cares about the Raptors and not so much the rest of the NBA. So if you don't want to hear the NBA talk, then just listen to the beginning and then like, share, subscribe, and don't hate. What do we know about this Raptors team at this point? Like, do we know anything? This is taping this in the middle of March. In a month, they're going to play playoff games for real. They're going to get that Saturday 12.30 NBA TV start. Do we know anything about this team appreciably different than when they were coming out of training camp? We're already relegating the Raptors to NBA TV. And what if they play the Nets? That's a big media market. We could actually see them on what? The last time they played the Nets with KG and Pierce and Joe Johnson's terrible contract, 
It was NBA TV. Fair Do you think enough. the D'Angelo Russell-led <laughs> Nets, the bench reacts, Jared Dudley-led Nets are I changing mean, that? D'Angelo Russell actually evokes strong feelings in two me- major media markets, so I think he might have some pull. And the Raptors are a much stronger draw these days, too. But that's not, neither here nor there. No, but... The- Trust me, that is a real conversation among Raptors fans. <laughs> That's like this true, is an actually. upsetting topic. I've been watching the standings all year to see because I'm super curious about what potential matchups are. Mm-hmm. I really want Philly and Boston to play in the first round. So some fan base is really, really upset, and some GM has to have a sad press conference. But now Indiana has messed it up by falling to four, and so they'll get Boston in the first round. But when you were looking at a like Indiana Detroit matchup at one point or Indiana Brooklyn I'm like okay that will be the NBA TV matchup and the Raptors can skate but I'm not sure now well I mean they are getting a lot more games on ESPN these days true we had the Portland game that got switched over it feels like they're on national TV basically every second night so you know I think things are a little bit different around here I do love though, they, that though? it's basically it's basically the second plot to the Raptors season right like a there's obviously what's happening on the court and b there's just which network is this game going to be on 100% <laughs> but you are still based here in Canada but a lot of your work yeah. is first disseminated in the United States and you are on a lot of platforms that are based in the United States when people are asking you to come on their shows. Mm-hmm. How often is the conversation led by the Raptors? Like, what's you, the appetite to hear about this team in the United States? Well, I think everybody wants to hear a little bit about Kawhi Leonard and how he's feeling. And, of course, nobody knows the answer to that. So it's always just a little bit of, uh, you know, just it's a little bit cagey and just say boilerplate things that I've been saying all season, really. Right. Just kidding, everybody who has me onto their show, I always <laughs> yeah, always try to bring, bring something new, including for you, of course. But I think there is an appetite because there's an intriguing free agent. where, I, And I also think there's a pretty strong belief that he might not stay. At least it's stronger than, let's say, for Clay Thompson or even Kyrie Irving, despite all the rumors. If Boston picks it up and you know, they make a finals run, then I don't really know what he'll end up doing. And obviously, you know, KD seems like a goner. But other than him, I don't think there's anybody who seems like a stronger candidate to leave than Kawhi. And that said, I mean, I think there's also a really good chance that he stays. But it's definitely a question and it's totally intriguing. You know, there's just so much mystery around still around how he left the Spurs and you know, what's going on with the Raptors. And the one thing you constantly get asked about, whether it's, you know, from other media people or just, you know, teams coming in to having conversations is like, what's going on with the load management thing? Like, so there's so much intrigue around Kawhi just because there's so many questions. But I mean, other than that, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's that many people who are curious about like, is Pascal Siakam the most improved player? But (laughs) but, but that's how it goes. It's a superstar league. This is why the playoffs this year to me are, probably the most intriguing that I can remember in recent memory. And again, when when the Warriors signed Cousins in July, everyone's like, who cares about this year? It's mm-hmm. fait complete. They're going to run through the league, full, 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 full. This is going to be the best team ever assembled. And that still might be true. But this year is intriguing because what happens in the postseason probably is going to have a direct correlation to what happens in the offseason relative the free agency. Kawhi Leonard's decision will be appreciably different if the Raptors flame out in the first round 
or get swept in the second round than if they go to the finals and steal a game or two. Kyrie Irving's decision might be very different based on what happens with the Celtics. Jimmy Butler's decision might be very different. Kevin Durant's decision might be very different on if the Warriors end up winning and how they win. I think the overall desire for Curry to get his first finals MVP will probably annoy Kevin Durant Mm -hmm. because everything annoys Kevin Durant. And that's why I'm actually looking forward to this postseason. We've said for a while, well, who cares about the regular season? Doesn't matter. Some of these players don't care. The teams don't care. And and really, the league doesn't care because we know Golden State's going to win. I don't care about the regular season because all of the implications on what happens for the future of this league, to me, are based on what happens in the postseason. Is that a stretch? No, not at all. I mean, that's why there's so much intrigue with this postseason, because somebody has to fail. Everybody made a big bet. You know, the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard. The Celtics made their bet a while ago, but, you know, now it's time to see what happens with it, with Kyrie. 76ers made two big bets this season, and, you know, they got Harris and Butler up. Now, it sounds like they really prioritized re-signing Harris, and maybe that's just to a public ploy to kind of keep Jimmy on his toes and kind of keep him well-behaved. Who knows? At the very least, it puts some pressure on him and gives him a little bit less leverage. So they've got two big free agent decisions coming up. Obviously, like you said, KD, biggest fish in, in the sea right now. And it seems like he might not want to stay in Golden State at this point. But you don't know what's going to happen, how you feel after winning another championship. Maybe he's thinking, okay, like, why would I want to leave this situation? Especially... You know, if they win a championship, July 1st is only going to be two weeks away, right? Like, he's probably going to still be feeling pretty good about that. And, you know, there's very few teams, at least, especially in the East. Milwaukee's basically the only team where their results aren't going to dictate what they look like next year. Mm -hmm. You know, next year's Eastern Conference is going to look very different. Just by the simple fact that almost everybody has to fail, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on what happens with the lottery balls and... If we have another Patrick Ewing situation where the Knicks get Zion mm-hmm. or, or RJ, and if that gives any motivation for Kyrie and KD to end up in New York, and all of a sudden the Knicks go from one of the worst teams in the league to probably a title contender overnight. Can I just say, by the way, that that just seems after what we've seen from veterans trying to team up with young players like the most inadvisable thing for anybody in that scenario, just from an individual perspective. Obviously, if you're the next thing, you can add KD and Kyrie at the same time. Yeah, do it a million times over. But we've already seen what it looks like when you put Kyrie with a bunch of young guys and guys that are still appreciably older than Zion Williamson. Who, I mean, I don't know much personally about Zion Williamson, but I can't imagine he would be thrilled with coming to a situation where he's then going to play you know, third fiddle behind two superstars and not really get a chance to develop. And I think that situation, which is, by the way, completely imaginary up until the lottery, is not as much of a dream as people kind of like to think it is. It's one of those things that looks better in a Photoshop than it actually would in uh, real life, I think. We complete these things where we assume a star is supposed to be a leader and by default mm-hmm. is one. And whether it's Katie or Kyrie, I feel like their star has risen to a level where they assume like, oh, I'm that dude. I'm supposed to talk. I'm supposed to lead. Well, no, like I think leaders are probably not made. They're born. And neither of those guys are are really adequate leaders, even though they're brilliant players. 
I think their best basketball is probably beside another great leader. Mm-hmm. So I am kind of all in for seeing them. Man, you think it's difficult answering questions that are not that tough now in Boston and in Oakland? Like two markets that I would say the beat writers are rooting for the teams. What do you think is going to happen in New York with a pessimistic mm-hmm. group of beat writers who openly hates the franchise because James Dolan has openly hated them for like mm-hmm. the last decade. And it's Transpont City, so nobody cares what happens. Right. You know, they cheer for other teams. Yeah. The Atlantic would be crazy if mm-hmm. the Knicks are good again and you've got the Sixers and the Celtics aren't necessarily going anywhere. And obviously the Raptors are trying to to fight through all of that. I mean, the Atlantic was the Titanic for so long. And I think arguably the group that's done the best of in-house player development outside of Toronto in the division has probably been Brooklyn. They've done a great job with not a lot of resources. Considering Toronto has to compete in this division for a while, this year, with whatever this window is, what's success? Like, how do we define success for this team this year? Is it going to the finals for the first time Mm -hmm. ever? Is it Kawhi staying? Like, what is a positive outcome for 18, 19 for the Raptors? You know, I think because the Warriors, and I think really anybody who comes out of the West, if it's not the Warriors, I think if you gave the Rockets a chance at the finals, if somehow the Warriors managed to to fall apart, like it looks like they might, honestly, I just don't think that the Rockets are going to get all the way there and not win. They're too good, they're too old, they're too determined. Like, they're old in a good way, where they're just like, they are full of players who understand that this is a one-time thing. But what's going to be left of them once they get there? I don't know. Is Chris Paul's hamstring going to be on E? (laughs) Like, I mean, James Harden, who, you know, you've chronicled and are writing about, in recent memory, the only player to have a higher usage rate is Westbrook. I don't know how sustainable this is to not only finish the year this way, but then to get 16 wins in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a question. That's Houston's biggest question, and as it was last year. That's why they lost is because Chris Paul got hurt. But I think that's also a motivating factor for them because I think they believe that they have the talent to beat them if they're healthy. Obviously, big if. Harden, I don't worry about as much just because we've clearly seen that he kind of, for the past two seasons, has been on a LeBron-esque terror of being able to kind of do whatever he wants and kind of get away with it as far as wear and tear goes and usage I think for him is a little bit antiquated I mean if you look at how much he moves he doesn't move a lot it's true I mean it's uh, it's kind of like the the thing that people hold against him but it's also just the way that Houston's system is that they don't run around whether it's on offense or on defense they switch a lot it's just it's a low maintenance program and when you're a team full of old guys you don't really practice that much either so you know, I, I don't worry about the wear and tear for him. Obviously, Chris Paul, though, like just dealing with injuries in his entire career, that you got to look at definitely a little bit more. See, I think in the playoffs that changes, though, because especially when you're playing one team every other night and they're scouting game planning for you and those pick and rolls that you love to get your matchups on, we're going to blitz them. We're going to force you to become a passer. And when you're at the top of the key, just dribbling, looking at the shot clock, you have not only your primary defender trying to get the ball out of your hands, but you have four other guys with eyes on you mm-hmm. and just looking to to either help on you once you drive or then recover to three-point shooters. Plus, a lot of his points, since the majority of them are unassisted, 
A lot of them come from the line. That's getting into the lane, mm-hmm. getting hit, getting fouled. Just doing that for like a month and a half is taxing. And that's why we saw him fall apart physically against the Spurs in the playoffs mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And last year, even though his numbers were pretty good against the Warriors, when a team, to me, misses 28 straight threes, that means they're tired. That means their legs are gone. So I worry about his... Well, I mean, I don't worry. I don't, it doesn't keep me up at night because I don't really care. But I would worry if I'm a Rockets fan mm-hmm. on whether or not you can play like this and win a chip. But in terms of the Raptors, people talk, well, going to the finals. Like, first time in franchise history, that's a win. Are you going to put a, a banner saying right. we lost... In five games to Golden State? Yeah, if you resign Kawhi, though, that's different. And I think that's the measure of success. It's the only measure of success this 100%, 100% season. 100% you agree. flame out in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's say you put up a good enough showing that he thinks, okay, you know what, there's something here. I believe in this organization. I believe in what they're building, the coaching staff, the medical staff, you know, just everything that, that they've been pouring money and resources and, and culture into for the past, you know, six years. If he buys into that and he decides, okay, this young core is developing and Pascal Siakam is developing into a legitimate second option and you know maybe we don't really know what the core of a championship team looks like right now but he believes that because of what he's seen that it can be built around him that is your big win that matters more than anything else it doesn't matter what happens in the playoffs obviously his decision making will be impacted by the playoffs but I just don't think that this team is winning the finals if they get there getting there would be great but that to me is you showing Kawhi that we can get there. That matters to me more than, like you said, just getting there. Like, what are you going to do? Put up a banner? Right. Like, I'm going to remove Golden State from the conversation because they're such an outlier. Mm-hmm. You don't think if the Raptors get to the finals and they're facing Houston or OKC or, God forbid, Denver, <laughs> Portland, who name your Western conference team that. You know, the slipper still fits and they're right. Cinderella uh-huh. all the way to the NBA Finals. You don't think the Raptors could beat any of the Western teams in a seven-game series? Well, I mean, forget Golden State is a pretty big caveat. No, right? but, I, like, <laughs> but yeah, because clearly if you're there against mm-hmm. Golden State, you don't expect to win. Even I still don't believe the Cavs came back from 3-1 down. Like I, I still refuse to believe that was actual thing that happened in real life. We can watch the clips after if I you don't, want. I don't want to. <laughs> you don't, I don't want, want to? to. In fact, when Steve Kerr was saying, I'm so tired of Draymond, I think it was in reference to the punch in game five that caused him to mm-hmm. be suspended for game six. I think he's still upset over that and has yet to get over it. Although, I mean... Well, it's hard not to be. There's a butterfly effect to this because if that doesn't happen, they probably don't get KD and then they probably don't win You know the next two titles. But... I am with you on this season is a failure if Kawhi doesn't resign. Now, before the aggregators take that quote and retweet it, it is a failure. But just like in Silicon Valley, I think you can fail fast. I think you can say, listen, we weren't going to win without Kawhi. So it's all relative, right? There's Mm -hmm. levels to this. And so this season, we tried something. It didn't work. He's leaving, but we were going to have to rip this Band-Aid off at some point. So mm-hmm. instead of running it back, we tried something else. Didn't work. Now we can reset our franchise, and Pascal Siakam is the guy we're going to put on the side of the building. But to me, making the finals, going to seven games in the conference finals, all of that is, in 25 years, we're going to be like, oh, remember that first mm-hmm. finals appearance the Raptors had? Like The Seattle like, Supersonics fans get together and celebrate the Kemp and Payton teams? Right, I don't think yeah. so. It's a like cute story. 
at this point, you're beyond that. Like, can we take down the Atlantic Division banners? Like, we don't even have to make a big deal about it at press conference. Just like in the middle of the night, just take them down mm-hmm. and never reference them again. To me, that's an assessment of how you think about yourself. Right. You're small time. Like, it's a little bit Instagram thirsty that you're trying to post Atlantic Division banners for everyone to know that you were the best of four or five teams when two or three of them at any given time was trying to actively lose? I don't know. I've gone off on a tangent. Well, I think it's a, a good marker of progress, but I do An see your Atlantic point. Division. Consider where this franchise was. Franchise? Yeah, I agree. Now, like to put one up now would be, mm, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if you do that, but when they did, it was, then it, it was a big deal. Well, wait, wait a minute. Quiet is kept. You can, I don't then, know if like you, you know, said, though, they're if you going make, to win the Atlantic this year. I guess if you already have the banner up, you can put the next year on it, but... I think we're talking about individual banners. If they do? They pre- I, I didn't know this. I assume Nor that they should just- you. Because who cares? <laughs> Listen, Twitter will correct me, but I'm almost certain they print an additional banner every year. So I remember like Chris Boss like, pointing to it, and then the, the little drape fell, and there was pyrotechnics all around right. it. And I'm also looking up there, and I'm seeing like thousands of Leafs who are Hall of Famers and a bunch of cups. I'm like, this is very embarrassing. See, that's why I've never seen it, actually. Where I sit in the media section, you're actually just staring at a bunch of uh, of retired Leafs. And I've never really cared for hockey, but I could honestly name all of them if I saw <laughs> them at this point because it's literally all that you get to look at when you sit up there. But to your point, like you said, it's like being Instagram thirsty. And when you level up, you can go back and delete your old Instagram posts. Okay, nice. And that's... We've got some Instagram etiquette here (laughs) from Sohei. Appreciate that. 18 different starting lineups this year. Which is the best one? Probably, you know, Surge as as the five. Surge as the five. Yeah. Listen, I don't know if I disagree, but I think most people do. I think there has been this default, well, Gasol's this new toy, Mm -hmm. and so we need to see more of him because of his ability to pass and his playmaking ability. And I actually think if I was coaching the team, which will never happen. Hey, I, come on. I would no, Come well, on. Well, I, no, I'm not, I'm not about that way. I would have like a 2019 version of the bench mob, like a bench mob light. And I would have Gasol in the second unit. And here's why. Because that second unit really struggles to create offense, create shots. So now you have Gasol as the playmaker in that unit getting Norm some shots off of some pin downs, getting OG some backdoor cuts. Now you're getting a little bit more offense. And I would keep those guys together. I would keep that entire unit together with whether it's Fred at the point or Jalen or both of them together when he's back or whether or not you're all about this Patrick McCaw experience or not. I would just allow that unit to cook and have some familiarity because one issue I have with Nurse is I love how he's he's a mad scientist. Everything's mm-hmm. about research and development. Throwing out these lineups, no matter game, time, score, we want data to see who plays well with whom, what works, what sticks. At some point, we need to have some familiarity. Like, basketball is a game of communication. This is not fantasy basketball. Mm-hmm. So I think these guys need to start playing with the guys who they're going to play with in real minutes in the postseason, and that rotation should get a little bit smaller, and we should stop playing 12 and 13 guys a night. So I would actually staple Gasol to that second unit and allow mm-hmm. him to create some offense with them. And then you can have some Lowry plus the bench minutes because Gasol and Lowry have a good relationship. But I think that first unit needs Serge's defense. I don't think they need his his offense as much. There aren't as many shots to go around in that first unit. So Serge's 18-foot pick-and-pops are fine. 
Yeah, and those are harder to create if he's the one coming off the bench, whereas when he's with the starters, I mean, those are just, you know, those are the shots that the defense is giving. Yes, yeah, so the lesser two evils. If he's in a pick and roll with Kyle, where if he's in pick and roll with Lane or, or Fred, it's a different equation. That's going to be when Fred just barrels to the basket and, you know, you hope for the best, I guess. But, right. I mean, I'm with you. When Gasol was first added to the roster i assume that he'd eventually just end up in the starting lineup but you know i think that was just me thinking that he would immediately revert back to old gasol having been on a on a playoff team and you know he had a couple of really really impressive passing games that kind of you know put stars in your eyes a little bit but when when you get back down to what the playoffs are really about you need a guy like surge you need somebody who can get out there and contest shots and can be a little bit more dynamic defensively he, you know, he's not the guy he used to be. He can run all over the floor in a way that Gasol can't, though. And when you look at, you know, just sheer amount of, you know, threes given up or how much he drops back in the pick and roll, it's just for defensive coverages, he just doesn't have the versatility that you need. And I think that actually is more of a compliment to Ibaka than it is an insult to Gasol because there's, they're both, in their own right, very strong defenders. But with Surge, you just get way more dynamism. You're just it kind of shifts the way that everybody plays because then you're all kind of stretched out and you're all running around and that's when you can really contest shots where it matters. Whereas with Gasol, I think with his style, there's just a little bit of give. There's just shots that he's always going to be willing to give you. And I just don't think that that plays well in the playoffs. Like if a guy can always come over a pick and know that he's going to get the shot, by game four, he's confident and he knows it. That's just kind of how things tend to shake out. You mentioned reverting back to who you are. And one thing I love about Surge, Surge is going to Surge. Ibaka is going to Ibaka. And mm-hmm. son, his best behavior this year, but at some point he was going to go off and punch somebody in the face. <laughs> and we've yeah. reached that moment. This is the now the fourth time that as a Raptor, and he hasn't been a Raptor since like 2002. He's been a Raptor for like barely over two years. The fourth time he's been suspended for a physical altercation one of which was against a member of the staff mm-hmm. I, well, I guess it's better than an opponent than the staff member right? is it better than <laughs> an opponent Serge don't let the Mufuzi outfits fool you he is a real one like he's looking for a reason to pop off he wasn't playing by the way like he went after it it wasn't like a hey hold me back sort of thing he no. just like straight for the neck by the way very dangerous inadvisable don't try this at home but you know it wasn't like he just kind of went for a little shove and was like going to get up in his chest and like wait for people to come around. He was just right there ready. He was like, okay, this guy's turned around. I can just blindside him. Let's go. Zero to 60 real quick. Like, mm-hmm. What could have Chris said that made him flip a switch that way? Or is it just Serge who, again, at any given moment mm-hmm. may pop off? I don't know. I think maybe he felt like he was trying to hurt him on the original play. And I don't think that he was, but I think in the heat of moment, maybe that's what happened. Because it didn't seem like Chris really said anything. And he didn't really get in his face after anything like that. He actually just turned around. I don't think it looked like Chris had any idea what was coming. I think he thought, you know, made a basketball play, guy fell down. Okay, I'm going to get this ball and inbound it in. Yeah, there were some reports that there was some kind of verbal jawing going back and forth for a couple possessions, which I mean happens in any NBA game. So really to draw that as the reason, uh, super producer Emil says in my ear that it was the stare, right? Maybe felt, you know, a little bit sunned that Chris was kind of over him looking down at him. The real question though, about how it impacts this team moving forward 
if at all, because I think this is now just some built-in load management for Abaka, who gets mm-hmm. you know three to five games off, depending on how long the suspension is. The real question is, okay, well, all of a sudden, you're real thin mm-hmm. in terms of your bigs. Gasol's now playing more. We get more Chris Boucher minutes, which I'm here for. Shout mm-hmm. out to Montreal. But you've got two roster spots open. Could it be addressed in that way? Could we see more Pascal at the five, which I was really looking forward to coming into this year, and we haven't seen much of it. How do you think this roster is managed for the interim without one of their big centers? Well, I think they're going to be stretched really thin if they don't make a signing. And and they do have to sign somebody, so it may as well be a center. I mean, I think Gortat has been a name that's uh, that's popped up, and I think he would be kind of interesting you know he's a veteran although he's not been a veteran that's been on a lot of good teams he's actually been on some pretty dysfunctional teams and it seems like has had beef on some dysfunctional teams so i don't know if that's necessarily say, like, the guy you want but he also is kind of like a tough guy unfortunately yeah so that might be a little bit fraught but you know you never know you know, it's not like we know his disposition or what happened in those situations. So maybe that could be an option. And, you know, he's got that enforcer thing. And that's something that I think the Raptors are lacking and have lacked pretty much throughout this entire playoff run is a guy that's just going to kind of get in guys' faces and consistently kind of be, you know, mean mugging basically the entire game. Like Serge, he'll pop off every once in a while, but it feels like more like he's he's kind of steady, 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 like kind of getting to a point where things boil over and then it all kind of explodes but you know they haven't had a guy that is consistently angry i guess and it's not like the league is really like that anymore but it doesn't hurt to have somebody like that in the playoffs see the guy i was hoping they signed is the exact opposite he loves the opera he's actually trained as a surgeon he's he's a great disposition very cultured i was actually here for the Paul Gasol signing before he went to oh, Milwaukee. For sure. Like I wanted the Gasol and Gasol law firm together. Mm-hmm. And did I think And just was, to keep him away from Milwaukee as well. That. And I, I did I think he was going to contribute at all on the floor? No, but he would have been mm-hmm. virtually another coach on the floor. He could be screaming defensive coverages to Mark in Spanish. I was really here for that. And and I just thought it would be great content for us in mm-hmm. the media. That obviously isn't happening. It's funny, like the center position we look at them as if they're dinosaurs, like mm-hmm. these old relics, until you actually need one. And then the cost to get one really goes up. Like at the deadline, we we're talking about centers moving. Everyone was looking in, oh, can we get, you know, one of the Lopez brothers? The Warriors went to Australia to mm-hmm. get Bogut because they needed size that badly. The Lakers, to me, are the greatest example of how you mismanage bigs. Like, they said to Lopez, yeah, peace. Julius mm-hmm. Randall, yeah, we're not going to match your money. But then they Really st- cheap money, by the way. Honestly, but you'd rather have Rondo? The bigs they decided to start the year with, well, the, I mean, you should say big is JaVale McGee. I'm not sure if Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson are in this century in terms of basketball analytics, cat management, just the way the game should be played. Or any century. Was there a century where JaVale McGee was your number one choice, et cetera? I mean, <laughs> like... That's a good point. But even the comments that they made around, oh, we need playmakers around mm-hmm. LeBron. No, like all of the data we have and every team that he's been on, you want shooting around LeBron. And yeah. they, they actively did the opposite. They actively brought a guys who don't shoot, who need the ball in their hands. And 
the only thing we really, really know universally about LeBron is no matter what position he's playing, point guard, power forward, doesn't matter because he's going to operate with the ball in his hands. I say all that to say the Lakers are coming to town. What has been your appraisal from afar because you're in Toronto, but not from afar because the Lakers are always in the NBA conversation and mm-hmm. you're covering the league. What has been your appraisal on year one of four with LeBron in LA? I mean, it's kind of like watching a whole bunch of people who have kind of always been able to have it their way, realizing that they now have to play by the rules. That applies, I think, to the Lakers franchise, generally. That applies to LeBron James. It applies to, you know, obviously Magic Johnson doesn't have that much experience being a GM, but, you know, as a, as a player, this is a guy who is very forceful and, and uh, you know, did run the show and, you know, got a coach fired and, you know, should hypothetically be the perfect guy to be able to talk to LeBron because there's not a lot of guys who can relate with that experience. And goes down to to Jeannie Buss and the franchise. Just everybody involved in that situation needs to realize, no, maybe instead of just selling the Lakers and LeBron selling himself, that, hey, maybe it's time for LeBron to act like a real teammate and to not be blaming other guys every time that there's a defensive rotation that was clearly missed by him. And generally, just as, as a point, like I just don't, I hate when superstars do that because you're already the star. And the camera's already on you. So if you make make a mistake, fine. But that should kind of... Or if it's somebody else's fault, fine. But that should probably just be the price of admission. And for all the guys who are playing around you, they shouldn't have to also go through having to pick up for your mistakes when they're already probably sacrificing a lot for you. That's not really either here or there. But, you know, it kind of plays into the whole situation there where... You know, you're saying, yeah, it would be great to have Anthony Davis as a teammate. Like, how do you think that makes his teammates feel? Or, you know, if you're the front office and, you know, that's part of the business, you're going to be part of trade rumors, especially on a team like that. And, you know, as a young guy, you get just something to, to get used to, but just the brazenness of all of it. And then to turn around and say that it was all fake news, it's just kind of like, well, I mean, if it was fake news, it wouldn't be going to literally every reporter that you know has a national platform and and is kind of sourced in that way and it wouldn't be coming from both sides and it's just like it clearly there were discussions around pretty much everybody and then when that happens you have to actually deal with it have conversations say hey this is the situation i mean you look at a team like the raptors the raptors have not had you know they've never dealt with more trade rumors than they have this season And they're also in a situation where they know that this is a front office that will pull the trigger. They did it last season with their franchise star, literally the most important player in franchise history or the second most important, depending on how you feel about it. But, you know, a big guy. So if you're OG Ananobi or Norman Powell or any of these guys, you've got to be a little bit worried. But the way that you navigate situations like that is by dealing with them head on, by having conversations with people. It just doesn't seem like that's something the Lakers did. And that's that's a much more important part of management. I mean, uh, Kevin Arnovitz for ESPN wrote an article about it. It was like, that's way more important than, you know, quoting the alchemist in, in your first uh, <laughs> in your first press conference as, as Rob Polinka did. And it's like, maybe it's more important to have a real medical staff. Maybe it's important to surround a coach like Luke Walton who hasn't had that much experience with assistant coaching staff that has actually been places and, and, you know, is, is reputable. 
you know, just all of the foundation around the Lakers, just it's all glitz. But they're really, when you look at, when you compare them to modern NBA franchises, just, they're just woefully to, behind. And they just don't really seem to, to know what they're doing in the modern NBA, whether it's from an analytics perspective or when you look at the signings that they made, they just seem to think, hey, we got LeBron James and, and we're the Los Angeles Lakers and we're going to be able to do whatever the hell we want because that's the way it's always gone. And it's like, well, no, no, not anymore. Like, that's just not the case. Yeah, when you look at their analytics department or lack thereof or their sports science department or lack thereof in comparison to an organization like the Raptors or the Warriors, like the Spurs, mm-hmm. some of the more progressive organizations in the league, it's not even close. Like, you're talking about being in different leagues. And the phrase I would use is arrogant. Yeah, the Lakers have arrogance. The Knicks, in the in the same way, are behind in those aspects. Have some arrogance, and it's almost as if, oh well, that's what other people have to do. Mm-hmm. That's what other people have to do to compete with us. We compete based on the real estate. Who doesn't want to live in L.A.? Who doesn't want to live in New York? Who doesn't want to put on a Laker jersey or mm-hmm. a Knicks jersey? Well, mind you, the Knicks. I mean, this is a franchise who kind of assumes they were born on third base because MSG is always full. But it's not like they have trophies upon trophies mm-hmm. upon trophies and the Lakers in terms of who doesn't want to play in LA like the majority of the league mm-hmm. they live in LA they'll play in LA in the Drew League but they've either had terrible franchise free agent meetings look at LaMarcus Aldridge they had to have a do-over mm-hmm. or even in recent memory aside from LeBron they haven't been able to land that big fish and we already know whether it's reporting from Michael Wright or um, KD just talking that there are stars like Kevin Durant himself or Kawhi Leonard who don't want to play in L.A. with LeBron. Mm-hmm. And so assuming those guys aren't going there this offseason and unless Kyrie's going to go back there and even still that wouldn't be necessarily enough, you're just moving the Cavs to a different area code, you start to look at the rest of the free agents and say, well, maybe they get Clay because his daddy's in the building, but he seems to want to stay in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it's not like NorCal's that far away, right? It's not at all. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, now we're talking about Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, maybe Jimmy Butler. I mean, all-stars, but level two and three all-stars. Mm-hmm. Not the type of guys that you are saying this is a super team that's guaranteed to win a championship for the next three years, which is the window you're dealing with with LeBron. I'd like to take Chris Middleton out of that equation, just out of fealty to his game. and I think he's very underrated. You think if Chris Middleton is is the 1B beside LeBron, no. the Lakers are going to challenge for a championship? I think, the rest of I think they'd be... Well, I mean, I think the roster is going to look different anyways, right? Like, I don't think anybody outside of, you know, Kevin Durant is going to come or Anthony Davis is going to come to that particular roster as a number two and and make it better. All I'm saying is Chris Middleton's got some game and maybe he is a tier one guy. and He just plays in Milwaukee and it's sacrificial. Don't let the first half of the All-Star game fool you. (laughs) We'll have to agree to disagree. He's a nice player. He's not that dude. Jeff Van Gundy, and lastly, before we move on, said this weekend it could be a trade with you know for an anthony davis or i think they need to explore trading lebron for getting as much as they can what are you doing seriously <laughs> no seriously what are you doing no you got to get on the right timeline if i could i'm gonna say if i could trade in for the clippers into cap space which would give me a better chance to get durant or Kawhi leonard would i not do that 
Okay, LeBron James is not getting traded. Okay. You got to put everything on the table. No, you can't. As a business decision, this man came to the Los Angeles Lakers. You got to... That, yes. that, that can't be part of the, the deal. Me trade you Hold on. Later. I, all I hear from the players now is it's business. Everything is business. Well, if it's business, then I have to do what's best for my business. I'm not saying you definitely trade him. I'm saying everything's on the table to get this team better. Everything. But bottom line, that is he crazy? Yeah. Because? Well, it's not like your young players are world beaters. Let's say you have somebody. If you have something, it's different. Are you trading LeBron to pivot to Brandon Ingram? I like Brandon Ingram. I've taken a lot of crap for earlier in his career for, I guess, underestimating him. He's not the guy, though. Like, what are you pivoting to? Well, you're pivoting to Lonzo Ball? You're pivoting to the hall of assets you'll get for trading for LeBron. Last year at this time, the Lakers were 30 and 36 without LeBron and that, with that young core. Mm-hmm. As we stand here today with LeBron, the Lakers are 30 and 36. They're the same team. Yeah, and but so that's also because LeBron missed 18 games and a lot of those young players, their development was stunted for a number of reasons. And those guys have dealt with injuries too. And now they're I mean, pretty much going to be load managed for the rest of the season, right. I guess. I mean, he's been in playoff activation mode for like a month and it hasn't really changed the fortunes. The other thing in terms of things that I'm really, really interested in your take on is the treatment of players. We had an issue on Monday night where Westbrook got into it with a fan in Utah Mm -hmm. and he said some things about the fan, said some things about the fan's wife and what he would do to them. And whenever someone says, I promise you on everything I love, they're probably serious. Like the conversation is not going to be managed easily Westbrook claims that the fan told him to get on your knee like you're used to. And he took that to have racial implications. The reaction to it was Westbrook threatened a woman by saying, I'll beat up you and your wife. Mm -hmm. What was your initial reaction when you saw all of that basically break out on Twitter? Well, I mean, the first thing was kind of just, this isn't the first time that this has happened in Utah. So that was my initial reaction, like, oh, here we go again. And it's also not the first time that Westbrook has has reacted to to fans, and I don't know whether that's Westbrook is more reactive, or maybe fans kind of tend to go after him a little bit more because of, like, whatever dynamic there might be. I don't don't know. But it was kind of my initial reaction was kind of just like, here we go again. And then, you know, when you see it, obviously we we mostly just see, see Westbrook's side of it. And if that's what was said, I mean... How do you react differently, right? I mean, I guess maybe you do just because other maybe other players have heard it before and just kind of keep walking. But it's just because you buy a ticket doesn't give you free reign to say whatever you want. I mean, end of the day, these are people, and that's incredibly disrespectful. And I think that fans feel like a sense of entitlement because even though you're kind of face to face with somebody there's an understanding that a player, they just can't do anything to you. It's like, you can just like throw popcorn or peanuts or like whatever. Like you can just be as disrespectful as you want to be. And there's a line with trash talk and disrespect and that you won't have to face any consequences. And that seems like the precedent that's been set in Utah. So 
that's kind of the first thing that I think about. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the fans are emboldened at this point. Yeah. Where the athletes are literally these, these zoo animals that you come to see and you can do whatever you want. But mm-hmm. they tell you not to feed the zoo animals for a reason. And they tell you not to put your hand in the cage for a reason because mm-hmm. that tiger might go tiger on you. Yeah. And you might get bit. And the security, which technically is there to protect the players from the fans, gives fans a feeling like, oh, well, no one's going to come through the security at me. And in fact, the security is really protecting the fans from the players. And that's not the way that dynamic should work. So if you're not going to say that to Westbrook in the street, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't say that to him on the court. Before we go, what are you working on? What can we see from you uh, in the next little while? I'll be uh, publishing something on James Harden's MVP case tomorrow uh, before the Warriors play the Rockets, which should be obviously a very good game. And uh, just, you know, it's kind of just about how I think he is a little bit misunderstood as an MVP candidate because I think that people aren't really able to get the image of him as you know, a spotlight hungry guy who's obviously like, you know, is dated a Kardashian and just wants to score a bunch of points out of their head. And he's a very different player. And it seems like this will be more about the basketball side of it. And it also seems like he's a different person. And for all the things that you can say about his usage and maybe if you think he's selfish and you don't like the way that he plays, I mean, the one thing that I consistently, they were here last week that I kept going back to is, okay, this guy's advocating for himself, sure. But his teammates coaching staff, rocket staff generally advocates for him as strongly, more strongly than he does in ways that they don't have to. And you get the sense that they genuinely get annoyed when the old Harden reputation comes up because it just seems like that's not who they believe he is. And if he was that guy, I don't think he'd be able to get a whole bunch of veteran players to stand around and roll and cut and space for two years in a row. You got to have something to be able to do that. True. Last thing, it is Women's History Month, and you are a woman covering the NBA, which there are more and more of now. As you reflect on that, what has your path been like as a journalist working in what is often a very male space? It can be awkward at times. I will say, though, that the NBA generally as an environment is probably more friendly to women than any other uh any other sport you know I've, i have friends who work cover multiple sports i only cover the nba or just you know hearing women's stories it just it seems like the world out there is is definitely a little less progressive whereas the nba is is younger you know the fans are younger the league itself is a little bit more dedicated to getting more women involved in whether that's on the basketball side or on the media side. So that in its of itself has been, it's been pretty cool. Generally, I just think that we need more, you know, like me, like I think probably a little bit of a different case where I wasn't going to do anything else. You know, like I lived in Edmonton, uh, I moved and I just love basketball. I loved writing so much. And, and I, I grew up very lucky. I was able to, uh, spend time while I was in college, like learning how to write, spending all this time watching basketball. And that I think is, you know, where a lot of, uh, a lot of it needs to start, like just giving, giving women and and minorities, like the resources to be able to, you know, start young and, and actually make them feel empowered and feel like, Hey, I can do this. Like I grew up, I grew up in a family that allowed me to feel that way that said like, you know, Hey, go get whatever you want. Just empowering women to feel like, 
know, whatever it is in the world, whether it's in a male dominated field or if it's in a sport covering men's basketball, like something that historically men have only done, just, you know, giving them more faces. And that's obviously, you know, like you said, there's more women, like we go in the Raptors locker room, like there's, there's a bunch of women on the beat even. I think that can kind of organically happen, but I also think that it's important to emphasize that whether that's in classes or like workshops or just like going to different high schools and colleges and say, Hey, this is a real option for you. Like this is actually doable. I think that can really go, go a long way. Yeah. Well, I think the cool thing for me to, to watch it happen and change throughout my years around the league is, you know, representation matters. So the fact that there are people like you, a woman, a woman of, of color doing what you're doing, doing at a high level, it shows other young, young girls that they can do the same. But also the cool thing is that you and the women in the league in general are so good about supporting each other and lifting each other up and kind of building a network so that you guys all can succeed. Speaking of women, it is Women's History Month. And throughout the month, we're going to have a couple interviews with some important women in Canada basketball. I caught up with Tamara Tatum at an all-female community gym event here in Toronto, hosted by Tandream and Kayla Alexander, who's currently in the WNBA. I talked to her at an Under Armour event for Canada Elite's women. So stay tuned to the podcast. You're going to hear those interviews in the coming weeks. But until then, make sure you like. Obviously, make sure you listen. Thank you for doing that. Share and subscribe. I am at Donovan Bennett. Sirit on Twitter is at Sirit Sohi. S-E-E-R-A-T-S-O-H-I. And of course, behind the wheels of steel, Emil Delich at Aman Delich, A-M-A-N. D-E-L-I-C. Let us know what you think and let us know what you want to hear. This is Free Association. Catch us next week.